0: Today I've been titled, Who is this? King of Glory. And what we're doing last summer, we did a series on Psalms. And uh, we actually did 12 of the Psalms. I have a few. We're getting a late start this year. I don't think we're going to get 12 done this summer. uh, Whatever you define. I think last year our summer went into September or something like that. Uh, But last year... We did, we did 1, 8, 16, 19, 20, 23, two, did two Sundays on 23, 27, 32, 37, and 40. As you can see, we didn't do every psalm, and we, then we went consecutive. Uh, but I felt like we would go back and pick up uh, uh, looking at the psalms, at least for a few weeks, uh, return to the summer series and uh, just stop it when we when it's time to stop it. And so I landed as we will in a few moments read Psalm 24, I landed on this this psalm. And some of the songs that we have sung today will certainly fit because what I want us to do today when we leave here is to catch a fresh vision of the magnitude and the sovereignty of God. Our our world and our our life, too much of the church, we have reduced God to our butler and to our servant, and Jesus said He came to serve. But we've reduced God to a puny God, and we have um, we have disregarded His involvement in our life in a sovereign way and in a kingly way. And I'd like for us to leave here today with a with a fresh vision of this great God. This God of angel armies we've been singing about. And that we would not buy into a notion or an idea of a, of a microwave to God, what I call you, shrinking, and certainly not buy into an idea of God that we have fashioned and formed to fit us rather than the reverse. Amen. That we have we have not asked God to Become like us because he made us in his image. And one of the things we see in this psalm is being able to access all the joy of God's presence and his glory. All that goes with that. How do we get there? This psalm teaches us that. And then it finishes up with the statement, let the king of glory come in. There's a there's a very clear division in this psalm. As we read it, you'll notice it. And that is that uh, 1 through 6 deals with a particular topic. But then when we get to 7 through 10, it becomes uh, more royal, more kingly. Uh, and we'll see that and we'll deal with it for a moment. But from Psalm 24, starting at verse 1, if you would stand while we read the, the scripture today... And I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of, of the God of Jacob, Selah, which is a break, and then verse seven, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You can be seated. The Lord's earth. The very first phrase could be, a message all its own, and that is, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Or the earth is the Lord's, and everything that it contains is His. Um, it's always been He. It's always been His. It always will be His. He is the Creator. He is the Owner of the Earth. Now the word here, "earth," is really a word in the original text that is translated, "dirt." So he's literally talking about the terrestrial ball that we stand upon and we sit upon today and everything that's contained in the earth. Uh, sometimes people try to take, uh, and I'll deal with it later on, but some people try to take and, tra- and transfer ownership to other parties and other, other entities. And I want to tell you that the earth is the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean that the earth is the Lord's? Well, how? And I'll deal with it again, but what? Think about an owner, Which how you're going to deal with an owner. He goes on to say that the world, he said, the world and those who dwell therein, the world there is the word cosmos, which is more of an inhabited world. We're not talking about dirt necessarily. We're talking about the, the inhabited world and those who live there or its occupants. So the earth is the Lord's and everything in the earth and then the inhabited world is His and everybody who lives in it. So whether you like it or not, you belong to God. Now some of God's people, children are wayward. Some of God's children are lost. And He said, I'll leave the 99 and go get that one, but they're, they're lost, but they're still, they still belong to Him. And he's interested in those people. He's interested in you. He's interested in your world. He's interested in your challenges. He cares about what you're going through. He's the landowner and we're the tenants. I I knew some of you remember our friend Corey Lambert. Uh, uh, God rest his soul. He's been gone almost 20 years now, I guess, probably. anyway... Corey used to write his tithe check and then in the memo he would put earth rent. (laughs) We're, we're just tenants here. We're just, in many ways, we're, we're just uh, passing through in some ways. Now we're passing through for a long time, but we're passing through and we have to recognize that he is the landowner and we are his tenants. Acts 17 says it this way, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He does not live in man-made temples. There is no human or man-made limitations that we can put on God. He is the God of the universe. He is the God who, who reigns supreme. And we'll read some more scriptures in a moment testifying of that. How are we going to respond or act towards someone who's an owner? How do you respond when you find y'all? Well, I watch this TV show sometimes called the Andy Griffith show. Sometimes it's a new show. Yeah. It's new every night at my house. Ain't B comes in and there's a man there that's in her home and uh, and Andy keeps trying to introduce her to this man, and and finally he says, "Ain't B, this is Mr. Foster," and she said, "Okay," and he said, "Oh, ain't B, this is mi- I've got a, a can back there in my office of this if you want to see it." But he said he's Mr. Foster of the Foster's Furniture Polish. And immediately her demeanor changes. Oh, yeah, she. Well, some of you don't know who Ain't <laughs> B is. Ooh. She she's, I mean, immediately her attitude, her posture, changes. Why? Because he's an owner. He's the owner of Foster Furniture Polish, which for about five minutes she became the spokesperson for. It's another topic for another day. But when we when we deal with someone and we realize that they're the owner of something, it changes. We change whether we whether we should or not. Well, they, they put their pants on just like I do. Yeah. But there's something in their pants, there's more in their pants, and I'm talking about pockets, than, than yours. What is our attitude towards an owner? You walk in a place of business and you're talking to someone and you realize that they're not just a, a clerk on the floor, they own this place. Let me just tell you this from a practical standpoint. One of the reasons that means a lot is that they're the ones. Took the risk. They're the ones who laid out the capital. They're the ones who pay the rent every month. They're the ones who pay the insurance every month. They're the ones at the end of all that have very little money left. But you, you just, your attitude changes, rightly so. And here's what our attitude should be towards the creator and owner of the earth, and that is deference. And honor. Deference and honor. We should defer to God. Too many of us spend our time telling God what he should do. Or what he shouldn't do. Too many of us spend our time informing God. Instead of hearing God. In a posture of deference and honor. I want you to see a God today. Today. I want you to leave out of here, and you say, well, I already know this. Well, good. Let's know it some more. I want you to leave out of here with a renewed sense of a sovereign God who rules and reigns and owns the earth and owns everything in the earth, who owns the world and owns everybody in the world, and he's He's the owner. I I, I question whether or not to try to put this on the screen, but I, I... I'm just going to read a few verses and I think the verses will be on the screen, but yeah, Job. This is Job talking and I, I can't, by the way, it would do you well to read the whole 38th chapter of Job and I'm not going to, so don't get nervous. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, there's a story right there. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Do you realize that's what we do when we try to inform God of what he should do? Okay, y'all are quiet. I'll, just, I'll let that go. Dress for action. In other words, get get ready, boy. Get ready. Get get ready to hear what I've got to say. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Job, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Oops, tell me if you have understand, who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Or did you stretch a line and measure the earth when I put it on its foundation? Again, you could just read on with, I'm going to skip to verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? <laughs> you get up and say, okay, morning, here's what you're going to do. And cause the dawn to know its place. Well, Isaiah forty carries a similar thing and theme, and I just want you to hear these words, unless you're quick enough to turn. Isaiah forty. Listen. Whom did he consult? Let me back up. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Uh, And then go down to 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Listen, it is he who sits upon the circle of the earth. I'm sorry, flat earthers. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God just called you a grasshopper. Comparatively speaking, saints... We're like grasshoppers to God's sovereignty and majesty. He said, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these he who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his power, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. I'm just scratched the surface, saints. If you could see God in in these verses and his sovereignty and his majesty, you. I pray that that's the God we see today. He governs the earth and he orders the affairs of the earth. Now, we are his managers. We're the managers of the earth. Another word would be stewards. We steward the earth. He told Adam, be be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. We are the stewards of this earth. But let me just tell you something. This notion that we human beings can destroy this planet, I don't, I don't understand how anybody could believe that. Can we be bad stewards? Absolutely. Can we treat it in a way that, sh- that the earth should not be treated? Absolutely. Are we so mighty that we can bring down God's creation? No. No way. doesn't absolve us of the responsibility of being the managers of this earth, but he governs and he orders the affairs of the earth. He goes on to say that he founded it. He founded the earth. In he, other words, put it on a foundation. Think about the earth just hanging there for all these years. And, that's, of course, that's for all these, add the zeros. For all these years, think about the earth just hanging out there in space. Think about hanging a globe in the atmosphere. Think about if you took a globe out into outer space and you were going to hang that globe in the solar system and cause it to stay and get it right it's silly silly to consider that think about the fact that the the axis of our earth is tilted and if it changed one iota we'd be gone think about the fact that our earth if it was one whatever closer to the sun you can forget about us not only did he, is he owns the earth, he founded the earth, and it's hanging right where he left it. How about that? Don't you wish some of your stuff be hanging where you left it? If you got kids and grandkids, I mean, you know. He, he, he hung the earth right where it is, and it's never changed. I mean, it revolves, rotates, but it's still there, right where he put it. Why? Because he put it on a foundation. What kind of God do we serve? What kind of God do we worship? A God who can establish the earth and put it on a foundation. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never, everybody say never, be moved. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the of the earth, and by the way, the, in the context, that's wisdom speaking in that proverb. I thought Sean was going to read this verse this morning. The heavens are yours, speaking to God. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The heavens belong to God. The The earth belongs to God. And we know Jesus said, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. God founded, placed, put the earth, put the world on the foundation. That will never stop. So he says, here we have this group of people. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. The world is his, and all the occupants are his. Who, everybody say who. I just want to make you sound like owls. Who shall ascend? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? You see, if you really see God, when Peter really saw Jesus, he got down in the boat on his knees and said, get away from me. I'm a sinner. When, when Isaiah saw God in the temple and the, the angel came and put the coal on his mouth, he said, Oh, I've, oh my God, I'm a sinner. And then of course the coal cleansed him. When you really see God, you ask yourself the question, who, who can ascend? To the hill. What is the hill of the Lord? It's the presence of God. It's that place of His presence. To ascend in this context means to bring a sacrifice of praise and worship up to the throne. You're approaching the throne of the King. What are you going to be bringing? Not, hey, I, you're not, you haven't been doing this right. I'm sure glad I finally got here so I can straighten you out. No, you're approaching with deference and honor. To the throne of God and you're coming with praise and worship and honor to him. What is is it to ascend to the hill of the Lord? It's to enjoy the presence of the Lord which brings the joy of the Lord. Remember the scripture? There's fullness in the presence of God. Fullness of joy. We want to find that place. As His people, we want to live in that place where we can enjoy His presence, where we can honor and worship Him, not just in a in Sunday morning in a room and sitting in chairs, but that our life can honor Him and worship Him every day, every minute. So, who is it that can do that? Who is it that can ascend? Well, if you if you don't watch it as you read the next few verses it's just going to sound like that it's works-based righteousness. It's going to sound like, well, we got a checklist here, and if you meet the checklist, that's not what that's not what the writer's saying. I think the Spirit-filled Life Bible says at the best when they say this is not mandating perfection or suggesting that salvation must be earned with one's own goodness, it is stating that the, the external or the clean hands and the internal or the pure heart, both must be turned in God's direction rather than toward another source, an idol, or toward deceitfully portraying oneself. Then righteousness from God will be received. So I want you to hear right up front. We're not talking about you've got to meet this criteria to go, to get to heaven. We're talking about meeting a criteria to be able to enter into that place of the presence of God. That place of ascending to the holy hill. That place of experiencing everything that God has for You've heard me say that it grieves me when I see people, especially Christians, who adopt and receive a lifestyle that is counter to God's instruction. Not because I want to wag the finger at somebody, but because they have settled for less. They've settled for less than what God has for them. Who's gonna, who's gonna enter into this place? Well, the first thing he says is those with clean hands. Those with clean hands. Have any of you ever seen the, the thing about a monkey? Got something in a jar. Monkey reaches his hand in the jar and grabs whatever it is, but he can't get his hand back out of the jar because he'd have to let go of what he just got. It's the same principle. We want all that God has for us. We're walking around like this with closed fists. We want everything God has for us. Give us some more, God. And he said, well, where am I going to put it? So, What does that mean? Augustus Toplady, in his song, Rock of Ages, writes, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Sometimes we come into God's presence with, well, let's just read it this way. Clean hands are hands that are free from obstacles, distractions and otherwise diversionary issues. Sometimes we come into God's presence and we are distracted. we got other things in our hands. And by the way, sometimes the things that are in your hands that prevent you from really entering into what God has for you, sometimes, listen, sometimes they're good things. Let me tell you another thing. Sometimes... The things that you're holding on to that will keep you from entering into God's presence are the things that God gave you. What you're talking about? Abraham. God says, Take your son and sacrifice him. So Abraham is going up the mountain, and we think we think Isaac's like twelve, but he's more like twenty-five. And so Isaac's carrying this bundle of wood. And asking his daddy, okay, we got the wood here, where's the sacrifice? So he straps his son to the altar. And I think Isaiah probably got a clue about that time who was going to be the sacrifice. And Abraham raised his dagger, raised his knife. And it says the angel of the Lord spoke to him twice. Abraham, Abraham, stop. There's a there's a ram in the thicket Sacrifice that. Well, what happened? The word that God gave Abraham has now been changed to the word of the ram. Had Abraham been like some of us, bless God, God told me to do this and I'm going to do it. He had been jabbing his son instead of hearing the voice. So sometimes God's given you a word and he's given you something to do. And you think, well... Then I'm going to do it right on. Sometimes God says, okay, you've done that, now do this. Clean hands. What what have you got in your hand that prevents God from handing you what he wishes or, or prevents God from assigning you something? What is it you're holding on to? Some of you you know you're thinking it right now. We, we use the imagery in the scriptures of Putting our hand to the plow, the plow, Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And, you know, we talked a, about, a lot about plowing our row in our field, keeping our hands on the plow. How could you put your hand on the plow if it's full of other stuff? Activities. Og, og, uh, obligations. How can we do that? Once again, Job said this: "He who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger." Come before God. Come before God with with clean hands, and not only clean in the sense of no, uh, no uh, over overtly or unnecessary activities and obligations and distractions, but even in the sense of. Uh, as the Spiritful Life Bible alluded to, we're talking about the external part of our life. So maybe, maybe we have been engaging in some activities. Uh, maybe we've been cheating on our taxes. Oh goodness, you, maybe I ought to sit down on that one. We have people throwing things at me. Maybe we've been engaged in some activities that are ungodly. And we wonder, why can't we get into God's presence? Because we got this stuff on our hands. Man, we need to I'm not saying you got to be perfect to come in God's presence, and I'm certainly not saying you got to be perfect to go to heaven, but my goodness, you know good and well if you're doing something. Come on. If you're doing something that you know is is opposed by God and God's way, how in the world? You know God, you can't fake it, you can't fake God out like you can everybody else. How hard is it then to act like everything's great? Listen, you' Thank you, Lord. And the Lord said, What's that? Something's all over your hands. Moses was telling God what he can't do. And God said, Here's the question. Listen, what is that in your hand? Of course, it was a staff. He said, Throw it down, throw it down, and it became a snake. I'm sure that's all, we'd all like for that to happen. If you, Whatever we got in our hand, we throw it down and it becomes a snake. Of course, it became a staff again. But by the time it became a staff again, we would have been gone. So we wouldn't even have seen it. What is that in your hand? And I'm asking you that this morning. I'm asking me that. What is that in your hand? Is it something that God is currently using? Is it something that God is currently putting in your life and in your world? I don't know. Then he says, pure heart. Internal, it's an internal thing. It's an uncluttered heart that's free from that which hinders and paralyzes us. Uncluttered heart. A lot of us deal with all kind of things, emotions, everything going on inside of our hearts. And the psalmist is saying we need to get a clear heart. Let's get clear. David had a problem in that he sinned with Bathsheba. He was confronted by Nathan Why Nathan is one of the bravest men in the Bible, by the way, because David had all the right to eliminate him from existence. And yet he confronted him anyway. And David writes the psalm after that getting through that experience and repenting of his sin, David writes the psalm that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me maybe jesus was thinking about that maybe he was thinking about psalm 24 when he was speaking the beatitudes and he said blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god and i'm not talking about seeing a physical manifestation although i'm i'm for it i'm talking about that in your spirit you see with your spiritual eyes you see God. Saints, we just can't get there if our life is all messed up by bad choices that we've made. We just can't get there if our hands are full of stuff and if our heart is cluttered and not clear. He goes on to say, those who have not presented their soul to uselessness or evil. Those who deal only in truth, those are the people, the psalmist says, who seek your face the people with clean hands and pure heart, the people who don't go after evil, the people who deal only with truth, these are the people who seek your face. And seek your face continually. Why? You know why. We leak. Therefore, we seek. We seek God. I'm not going to spend any time, Psalm 15, asked ask the same question, who's going to come into God's presence? He who walks with integrity. He who speaks truth. Does not slander. Does no evil to the neighbor, to his neighbor. Watch this one. Does not entertain gossip. You know what gossip is? The word in the original text, it means whispering. And you know what it's like to walk in a room and people are going, and as soon as you walk in the room, they go, And depending on your level of insecurity, all of a sudden, they're talking about you. No, it couldn't be that they didn't want to hear us talking about somebody else. No, they're talking about us. Whispering. A whisper campaign. And the scripture talks about gossip just eating into the soul. Somebody need to hear that. I've reworded it. one thing. The disesteem's flagrant sinner. It actually says... Stays away from the vile, V-I-L-E. Disesteems flagrant sinners. Can I tell you? Lord, help me. I don't want to get off on this. <coughs> the love of God does not cause us to accept everybody's lifestyle. The love of God does not say no matter what they're doing, you got to say it's right. As a matter of fact, the love of God says just the opposite. If you really care, if you really care, then you know. I used uh, example Tuesday nights we're doing the American Gospel, uh, which is one of the announcements, video series, and all of us know what it's like to have a child. Well, maybe we don't, but you can imagine that's running for the street just as fast as they can go. And you run out and to catch the child, you do not stand by the child and say, well, I love them. So I'm going to let them just make their own way. I love them. So I'm going to let them do what they want to do. I'm going to let them make, find out. No, you tackle them and you bring them back in the house and they're bleeding. They've got cuts all over them because you tackled them on the sidewalk and maybe even missing a tooth and you bring them back in and mama says, what's up? I demonstrated my love to this child. (laughs) They they disesteem flagrant sinners. Hear the word flagrant or in the Scripture vile, and lastly, honors those who fear the Lord. See, let's, let's, let's don't see that as a checklist. Yeah, I, I did that one. Okay, nope. see that as a as a picture, as a goal. We want to we want to be in God's presence. We want to un- enjoy the presence of God that produces that joy. Well, let's let's look at what the psalmist tells us. Let's just find what's in my hand. What's cluttering my heart? All the things that he says. And then the second half of this psalm, we won't spend nearly as much time there, and I know you're going good. It's kind of, It's almost, Some people believe this psalm was written by David uh, when the ark was coming back into Jerusalem. He was writing it for the bringing back of the ark, which represents God's presence. And he writes it like there is uh, two choirs, let's say. And the first choir... In verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Gates represent authority. And doors represent access. Or that which blocks. So here's this choir director who's saying, Open up the gates. Set aside all authority. Open up all the doors. And let the king come in. And then the other choir, although they know, but they're, they're singing the song. The other choir says, who is this king of glory? Like back across the wall. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. They're declaring all authority. Step aside. All the authorities that be. All the authorities that we have set up. As individuals, all authority step aside for the king of glory. There is no authority that supersedes the king. Who is this king of glory? Who is this for whom you demand entrance? Who is this for whom you demand to open the gates? To open the doors. Who is this? Now, they know, but they're just playing, they're singing David's song. You know, and I know. But one of the things we do on Sunday mornings is we'll come in this room and we'll declare what we already knew when we came in. Well, we declare it anyway. Not one of you came this morning and we sang a song and you go, well, I didn't know that. My goodness, I'm glad I sang that song. I learned something new. No, you're proclaiming glory to God. Maybe you learned something, but really you're proclaiming worship, glory to God. The Lord strong in battle. The Lord of hosts, literally, Lord of hosts means over angelic armies, which we sing about this morning. This Lord is sovereign over all the powers in the universe. He's the lamb who was slain to, pur- to purchase our salvation. This king is God among us, God in the flesh. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the ex- everybody say exact. Jesus is the exact representation of his father. This king of glory was sent from heaven. Thank God he was sent on a mission. Thank God he accepted his mission. He came to earth, became like one of us, laid down his life, and was obedient even to the death on a cross. It goes on to say that this king of glory is our intercessor, our advocate, our good shepherd, our chief shepherd. He's the son of man. He's the word of God. He's the Lord of lords, and he's the king of all kings he's our loving and caring king he is our compassionate king this is who the king of glory is imagine if you will that sight where these two choirs are singing back and forth to one another can you imagine the honor and the glory that ascends to the throne of God during those moments with them proclaiming and to you and me we'll close right here To you and me, this king of glory is the one who says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All you who labor and are heavy laden. No matter where you are in your life circumstances, as we addressed earlier, he's the one who wants you to become yoked up with him. So that he can carry the load. But he only carries the load if we're yoked with him in submission to his authority. He is our king of glory. Amen? Stand with me.